Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Sometimes, in my real life, I say WTF out loud. And I said WTF out loud when I saw the Microsoft corporate meeting opening yesterday. So Microsoft opened their big corporate meeting online with this. And when I heard it, I thought, what the blank is this? (laughs) It seemed like a comedy bit. It seemed like a really droll, dry comedy routine. But then we got all kinds of texts, which I'll follow up with after you hear it, from people saying, no, this is the way my company, my school, my whatever has been doing it for the last year. Apparently, this is a common thing. Um, It's going to sound strange to you if you've never heard it before. This is the opening of a big online Microsoft meeting, corporate meeting yesterday. Hello and welcome to Microsoft Ignite. We've got a big day ahead and lots in store for you. First, we want to acknowledge that the land where the Microsoft campus is situated was traditionally occupied by the Sammamish, the Duwamish, the Snoqualmie, the Suquamish, the Muckleshoot, the Snohomish, the Tulalip, and other Coast Salish peoples since time immemorial. A people that are still here, continuing to honor and bring to light their ancient heritage. My name is Allison Wines. I'm a senior program manager in our developer tools division. I'm an Asian and white female with dark brown hair wearing a red sleeveless top. And I'm Seth Juarez, program manager in the AI platform group. I'm a tall Hispanic male wearing a blue shirt, khaki pants. Today we kick off two days of learning more about what the about your socks? What about your how these socks? innovations can empower you uh, to do great things and connecting with peers from around the so, world. So I, I think in this saying. scenario I'm a blind man. How am I supposed to listen to you if I don't know what color socks you're wearing? So I know I didn't get any of this. Uh, in retrospect, I guess it makes sense. So that description thing is in theory for the blind who are taking in this webinar so that you'll know she's wearing a short-sleeved sweater. Why that would make any freaking difference to you, I don't know. Um, it just sounds crazy to me. And then the it's other a part, sleeveless blouse, by the way. And the other part, Idiot. we got we, we got a bunch of texts like this one. I'm a college professor, and every conference speaker begins by honoring the ancient tribes of their land. Now, I literally work for the only college in America that sits on an Indian reservation. I can barely attend national conferences anymore. Uh, we got this text. That's how all in all caps. All of our school district meetings and many classes start every day with acknowledging the, who the lands belonged to. Another one. My school district had a teacher training day about three years ago, and they did this. This land used to belong to Fang. I almost did a spit take. Oh, my God. That would be an appropriate reaction. You people are a joke. Why don't you just stand up there and pleasure yourselves sexually? Because that's all you're doing. You're just stroking yourselves. Pardon me for the unnecessarily graphic metaphor, folks. But it's doing nobody any good except them. They are masturbating. What I, lo- what I like is that everybody's so freaking scared of the woke mob that if you get wind that some college or company or whatever... Oh, did you hear? They acknowledge... The land that, what tribe the land used to be. We've got to start doing that. Because otherwise the woke mob will say, Microsoft does it. Hey, Apple, how come you're not doing it? Or University of Pennsylvania, you acknowledge the tribes that had the land. Hey, University of Wisconsin, how come you're not doing that? And they're so scared, I guess, of the woke mob that they cave to this crap. It's unbelievable to me. 
Right. Some canoe paddling Native American paddled through in 1704. You got to tip your cap. Well, I'm in California, so I have to assume the land I'm broadcasting on right now belonged to a number of Indian tribes. Then the Spanish brutally took it from those Indian tribes. Then the United States took it from the Spanish. So that's where we are. And illegal immigration is attempting to take it back. Right. At least according to some experts. crazy is that? So you combine the long list of tribes that used to have the land, and then you describe every aspect of what you're wearing and what you look like for the blind. Well, and Cal Unicornia was uh, held by the Spanish, as you point out, but can you imagine trying to do it in Florida? The number of times Florida was held by the Spanish and the French and the English and the Spanish again, then the French again, various Indian tribes back to the French, and just it'd be incredible. It'd be, well, ridiculous. Or obviously Texas with the whole Six Flags over Texas. You know, at Six Flags Amusement Park that started in Texas, that's the whole Texas has had six different national flags. Right. Um it's how long will this last? Will this go on forever? So do you have to open every conference forever by naming all the tribes that used to own it 50,000 years ago? What the freak difference does it make? Who had this land tens of thousands of years ago? Who is that? Like Joe said, who is that for? Right, right. And what does it accomplish? I have a feeling fairly quickly it's going to be seen like uh, parachute pants and men without hats. Kind of a, a quaint relic of an era. It'll be like the safety dance. You'll think, wow, that was a hit song. How did that ever happen? How was that ever a hit song? How weird. With the dancing dwarf and the blonde-headed girl. Crazy. How how was it ever a thing that companies mentioned what Indian tribe had the land the the building was built on? I guess it was (laughs) S-S-S-S-A-A-A-A. Right, yeah. No kidding. What a... You people are a parody of yourselves. Well, and I'm which, Seth Juarez, program manager of the AI Platform Group. I'm a tall Hispanic male wearing a blue shirt, khaki pants. Muchas gracias. I'm tall. a six-foot middle-aged white guy. Looks a lot like a serial killer. Beady eyes, no hair. How tall are you? Are you like eight feet or what? Like six one? That's not so tall. Well, I'm a medium tall. All right. What color is your like hair that, again? What'd you not say? Like, not like that 14-pound potato we were talking about last hour. Holy snapping turtle teeth. <laughs> if you didn't Holy hear that. Holy snapping turtle teeth. If you didn't You're hear, not nearly that big, are you? If you didn't hear that, catch the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. So this is interesting. This is from the liberal Vox. Woke racism. John McWhorter explains why he's an anti-racist. If you don't know who he is, they actually explain it in a moment or two. And and it's a pretty good explainer, as they say in the website business. Anti-racism is a term most Americans would never have heard just a few years ago, but it became commonplace last summer after the murder of George Floyd and the success of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, the success in what exactly? But going on. Well, they, they were successful in raising tens of millions of dollars and getting rich. So, Like many ideas, anti-racism can be difficult to pin down. It refers to a wide range of concepts and practices with roots in decades of scholarship and activism. If the movement has a signature text, it's probably Ibram X. Kendi's 2019 book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. For Kendi, anti-racism is all about outcomes. Any policy that produces racial inequalities is by definition racist. Any policy that reduces racial inequalities is anti-racist. I would jump in and point out that in Kendi's world, if you are racist, but it helps his list of downtrodden people, that doesn't count as racist. It's good and it's okay. If you are racist in a way that doesn't help the people he's chosen, well, then you're the worst uh, human scum on earth. Anyway, 
Uh, but the term has come to mean more than Kennedy's consequentialist conception. Writers like Robin D'Angelo, who serves up horse ass, according to us and Matt Taibbi, the author of the mega bestseller White Fragility, of foreground and understanding of anti-racism that is more personal and symbolic. The focus is on white people looking inward and grappling with their own complicity in a racist society. And, of course, D'Angelo, who is white, has become a darling of corporate diversity consulting. Whatever you think of their arguments, anti-racism become a force in American life, yeah, among softheads and people afraid of them. That means it has a lot of critics. Chief among them is John McWhorter, a linguist at Columbia University, now a writer for the New York Times. His new book is called Woke Racism. Woke Racism. And it makes an intentionally provocative argument. For McWhorter... Anti-racism functions more like a religion than an ideology or a political project, and its inherents are obsessed with performing virtue, not for the sake of societal change, but because of the sense of purpose it offers them. And his more serious challenge and charge is that anti-racism isn't merely wrong or performative, it's actually harming the people it claims to support, which it clearly is, by the way. Oh, yeah. And his goal, as he puts it, is to, quote, explain why so many black people are extract, are attracted to a religion that treats us as simpletons. Werder says explicitly in the book that he felt like it was his duty as a black man to write it. At the yeah, same well, time, he says he's not addressing right-wing America. He doesn't want to go on Fox News. He wants to talk to black people. Yeah, well, that, that's awesome. I hope this makes a dent. And I was reading all the pre-publicity stuff, and I hope we have him on for an extra-large part podcast as he's making the rounds and everything like that. But like coming up next segment, we can play for you uh, the way they are treating the new lieutenant governor there in Virginia. Remember that story that we brought you that um, the so-called white supremacists of Virginia who voted for the dog-whistle candidate Republican there also voted for separately a black woman to be their lieutenant governor. Yes. Kind of weird. Well, MSNBC explains what's going on there. Oh, it's, I can't wait to hear it. It's exactly the sort of thing we were just talking about. We'll yeah. have that for you next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, in case you don't know this whole story, um, in Virginia they elected a uh, a Republican the other day, and that was the big headline. But the sub-headline was that they elected um, a black woman to be lieutenant governor, when all of your lefty media was claiming the reason they elected a Republican in Virginia was white supremacy. Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? Well, and ignores every single fact on the ground. I mean, it is willful blindness ridiculous. You know, I actually took in a good podcast from from people who live in Virginia who said the, um, the critical race theory in school thing is getting way too much attention. What's not getting enough attention is the school closures is what parents were most mad about and uh and the republican that won in virginia was against it and mcculloch the democrat was for it and ran with the uh the most hated um school union figure in america right um right the school closures were really the the tipping point issue there and white supremacy of course here you got this guy his name is michael dyson he's on msnbc um, he's kind of explaining how a bunch of white supremacists decided to vote for 
a black woman to be lieutenant governor. Problem is here they want they want white supremacy by ventriloquist effect. There is a black mouth moving, but a white idea through the running on the runway of the tongue of a figure who justifies and legitimates uh, the white supremacist practices. We know that we can internalize in our own minds, in our own subconscious, in our own bodies the very principles that are undoing us. So to have a black face uh, speaking in behalf of a white supremacist legacy is nothing new. And it is to the chagrin of those of us who study race that the white folk on the other side and the right wingers on the other side don't understand this is politics one-on-one and this is race, not even one-on-one. What's beneath one-on-one? It's the, it's the pre-K of race. You should understand the fact that if you tell black people, look, I support a Negro. Look, there is a person of color that I am in favor of. And that person of color happens to undermine and undercut and subvert the very principles about which we are concerned, you do yourself no service by pointing to them as an example right. of your racial progressivism. Okay, wow. so that's uh, this guy Dyson. He's on MSNBC all the time. He was on Joy Reid's show last night. She was one of the leading talkers Tuesday night with the election results coming in about how it was all about white supremacy, that a Republican won. Um, he's an academic, by the way, professor, Georgetown, all that sort of stuff. Um, by the way, one of the quotes, just to remind you, there is a black mouth moving, but a white idea running on the runway of the tongue of a figure who justifies and legitimates the white supremacist practices. That's what he says about this black woman. Uh, Glenn Greenwald, commenting on that, said, this is one of the most repugnant and racist segments broadcast by a TV network this year. The message could not be clear. People of color are duty-bound to recite liberal, liberal orthodoxy and pledge loyalty to the DNC, and those who don't are brainless puppets being used by white right. supremacists. Yeah. You know, around here, uh, and I'm addressing specifically our, our black friends, around here where we consider you 100% the equal of anybody and deserving of all of your rights, and, and certainly you have agency, you can make your own decisions, you can think however you want to think, like everybody... According to this guy and the woke crowd, if you dare disagree, you're a parrot. You're a puppet. You're, you are, you're a minstrel show actor piping, uh, uh, you know, uh, parroting white supremacist rhetoric. Well, that is, it, that is repugnant. Glenn Greenwald's right. It would be repugnant if it were racial issues that drove the election result. But that's not even what the vote, the vote was about, as I was just talking about. It was about school closures and vaccine mandates and taxes and all kinds of different things. The reason that people voted the way they did. And right. this woman, this black woman, happens to be on the side of getting rid of the grocery tax there in Virginia, of having the schools open instead of having them closed down while you've got COVID. So it wasn't even racial stuff. Well, well, right. And what really angers me about all this, well, there are several aspects of it that really angers me, but, uh, this, this woman who, uh, and I'm sorry, her name's not in front of me, and so I forgot. That's oh, a cool but, name. Oh, yeah. I got it right yeah. here. Yeah. I'll have a 40 seconds going. Winsome? Yeah, Winsome Sears. Sears, that's right. She is cool the name. daughter of immigrants. She is a United States Marine, and she is turning and, and saying to little boys and girls, particularly little black boys and girls, you can do great in this country. We believe in you. You can be what you dream of being. And the Dysons of the world and the Ibram Kendys of the world, they despise her for that. 
They hate her for that. They're calling her the most repugnant things I've heard in public discourse in a very long time for that, for daring to say, you can make it, I believe in you. It's disgusting. It is disgusting, and it's an interesting moment in uh, in our in our country's history. I don't know where this is going. I don't know who's going to win at the end of the day, this argument, but, oh, my God. Teaching in schools that little white kids are born racists and that black kids are being held down by the white kids and then that any black person who doesn't agree with that is a white supremacist right weird man weird yeah Yeah. you know back to that uh, john mccorder interview with uh, vox he's talking about why it's not just an ideology it's become a religion and uh and he says you know if you're the elect the chosen few if someone disagrees you don't just not like them you feel that they should be defenestrated which means thrown out a window they should lose their job they should be stripped of their honors they should be basically banished from society i must read something that happens every day based on this sort of thing that fervor is different from an ideology that's precisely what's happening to this poor woman she dares disagree therefore she must be removed from society and silence you notice Dyson didn't offer a counter argument or say, here's where she's wrong. No, he announced, he pronounced that she was subhuman and not worthy of being heard. Again, that is sickening. How do you air that guy? I don't know. Joy Reid's show is all about that crap. It is the most racist thing on TV, and it's on MSNBC. Garbage. Jeez. Armstrong and Getty. I can't speak for anyone else, but I can tell you, without an absence of clarity here, that any movie that we have moving forward with Seven Bucks Productions, any movie, any television show, uh, or anything we do or produce, uh, we won't use real guns at all. We're going to switch over to rubber guns, and we're just going to we're going to take care of it in post. We're not going to worry about the dollars. We won't worry about, worry about what it costs. And when something like this happens, this magnitude, this heartbreaking, I think the most prudent thing and the smartest thing to do is just pause for a second and really re-examine how you're going to move forward and how we're going to work together. Well, Mr. The Rock, your movies all, you know, cost $100 million, so you know you don't have to worry about production costs. But uh, talking about guns on movie sets. Well, I don't know. It's, it, it, was, it was news to me that they still use guns that were even capable of firing a real round to make movies. I would have thought they'd have come up with something a long time ago that would have worked. But Yeah, that's what yeah, indeed. Yeah. So this is the way it went for me last night. I go to bed. I'm reading the New York Times, and I see this headline. In spending bill, Democrats rely on budget gimmicks they once derided. What? The New York Times is saying the Build Back Better bill. Uh, Well, I'll read the subheadline. Budget experts say true cost of legislation could be $4 trillion as lawmakers rely on sleights of hand to bring down the price tag. And the New York Times goes through how... The Democrats are sliding numbers around and, uh, you know, projecting this and that in such a way to hide the fact that the $1.8 trillion human infrastructure bill is actually a $4 trillion piece of legislation. The New York Times said that. So I went to bed thinking, well, this thing's dead. This thing is dead. When the New York Times is calling that out, it's dead. I wake up to the news that Nancy Pelosi is going to put both bills to a vote today before noon. 
Boy, it's getting to like, carry in the math three hour time. It's it's practically noon Eastern. I just right. checked the New York Times live feed, and they ain't said nothing about it's uh, they're on the floor or anything like that. Right. So I don't exactly know what's going on, but that was the announcement that the House made earlier today as they plan to vote on both of them. Um, uh, if you remember the way legislation works, a piece of legislation has to pass the House and the Senate, and then the president signs into a law or vetoes it. Um, it is pretty well known that the actual infrastructure bill, which I which also think shouldn't pass. Plenty bloated. Um, but it's going to pass, and it's about a trillion and a half. It, it's already passed the Senate. It passes the House today. Biden signs it into law this afternoon. And they're going to do a big, giant signing ceremony and try to make all the evening newscasts and the Sunday talk shows about, yay, look at us, how bipartisan we are and all the stuff we uh, accomplished. The other one, though, that the New York Times says is $4 trillion? I don't know what's going on with that one. It 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 hasn't passed the Senate. So if it passed the House, it's got to go to the Senate. And if it's got all the crap in it that they say is in it, there's no way it's going to pass the Senate. No, there are Democrats on the record saying I can't vote for this. Uh, by the way, I have an assertion. I think the the Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal, and the, the squad and the rest of them are saying to Nancy, no, we are not voting for the infrastructure thing unless uh, we get the, the gigantoid uh, Build Back Better Turn America into Venezuela bill. That we won't vote for it. You got to do the build back better first. I was because something is going on because the the assumption is that the so called real infrastructure bill, which again is plenty bloated, um, that will pass. But the lefties think that holding that up's their only leverage for getting the Venezuela bill passed. Uh, just a quick cavalcade of clips, just because I uh, I think they're instructive. Michael, let's start with clip thirty. This is Joe Manchin. The CBO scoring, talking more about the effects it has all through our economy and all through people's lives. That's something reasonable to ask. I have a lot of concerns. They're working off the House bill. That's not going to be the bill I work off of. Another comment, this from North Carolina Representative Virginia Fox with two X's. You perfected the bill. You made it stronger. You made it transformational. Well, let me tell you something. The American people do not want this country to be transformed in the way you want to transform it. The always colorful Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. That blue states and blue cities are yelling at the left wing of the Democratic Party. You're nuts. Slow down. And then finally, interestingly, Representative Matt Cartwright of Pennsylvania, who I think is a Democrat, I can't remember. In the time of the vote, what do you think? Oh, wow, you're taxing me now, Brianna. I'm going to say... Before noon? Would you say before noon? I think we'll get one done before noon and the other one shortly after. Okay, you got 20 minutes there, uh, droopy dog. (laughs) Which one do they vote on first, though? Because the the, the woke left wing is saying, no, 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 no. You got to pass the big one before we vote for the other one. That's what I'm saying. So which one is she going to... What's Nancy going to put on the floor first? You got to turn us into Venezuela before I uh, vote to fix the bridges. I don't know. I think that's probably the wrangling that's going on. I still say, and and my confidence has wavered lately, but I still say, Nancy, given her, you know, her her politics, her proclivities, her history as a, a speaker, I think she has been pushed to the wall by the lefties, the progressive caucus. And so she is going to throw it on the floor and watch it defeated to tell them, you see, now shut up. Maybe. We got President Biden from uh, just a little while ago talking about this. We hear your voices. 
We're going to invest in your hopes. Help you secure a brighter future for yourself and for your families and make sure that America wins the future in the process. I'm asking every House member, member of the House of Representatives to vote yes on both these bills right now. Send the infrastructure bill to my desk. Send the Build Back Better bill to the Senate. Let's let's build an incredible economic progress. Build on what we've already done. Because yeah. this will be such a boost when it occurs. Yeah, to inflation. We've already spent, what, $6 trillion. A lot of it is is on the sidelines. It hasn't even been spent yet. We added 531,000 jobs in October. Unemployment is at 4.6% and dropping like crazy as people's uh, stimmy money runs out. The idea that we need some giant rescue the poor, starving American people plan, it's it's fanciful. It's like saying we have to attack the moon. What are you talking about? There's no basis in fact. I don't know. Do you have any guess as to why the New York Times decided to drop this bomb? Hey, everybody, that $1.5 trillion they're talking about is actually, or $1.8, is actually $4 trillion. They're, they're fooling you with a whole bunch of accounting tricks. Why did the New York Times do that? Just good, honest reporting? I don't know. There are a couple of explanations that leap to mind. One is, <laughs> excuse me, my cold hangs on. Uh, one is that... They were so crazed with anti-Trump fervor, they abandoned all of their principles. We've talked about this many times. Hell, they've admitted it. Barry Weiss left. All sorts of people had to leave the New York Times. They went so nuts. It could be that they've realized, um, we traded like everything we we're known for, uh, for trade, uh, for uh, hatred of the tangerine tornado. Maybe we ought to remind ourselves what a good newspaper does. I think that's part of it. The other part of it is, the 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 fakery the dishonesty of those budget numbers was so egregious i just i thought that they probably just felt like we have to say this it's so obvious or maybe the election tuesday they realized hey there's way 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 more moderate democrats than there are woke democrats our readership is with joe manchin more than it's with aoc i wonder if some of the editors uh, mounted up on horseback Got some uh, some long billy clubs, rode into the newsroom, smacked some heads, retook control of the newsroom, and pointed out that very thing. Hey, Twitter isn't America. And even on the left side, there are triple the number of conservative and moderate Democrats, including people of color, than you woke white maniacs, you cultists. And then probably threw the uh, the woke into some sort of basement down in the printing presses, uh, New York Times prison, where they'll be held without charge. Wow! You know what masks. woke means? It means you're a loser. Yes. So this is a pretty good idea. Simply safe for home security. It is the best home security you can get. Yeah, the best. That's according to U.S. News and World Report, named Simply Safe the best home security system in 2021. But it doesn't cost a ton. You can install it yourself at home. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's simpler and less expensive, yet it is better. You have comprehensive sensors, indoor and outdoor cameras, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send the help the instant you need it. And because you are you, 
And you know us. They're offering 40% off your entire system. Hurry, take advantage of Simply Safe's holiday sale. Get 40% off your new home security system by visiting simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. That's simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. And you can get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. And there is not an expensive charge to install the thing, drilling a bunch of holes in your house. It's better. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Get 40% off. So in Los Angeles, you're now going to have to have proof of vaccination for all drinking establishments before you're allowed to go into a bar or anything like that. And in San Francisco, very soon, all kids will have to show a card along with their parents to go into any sort of restaurant, gym, any public place, really. Yeah. Your kid will have to have a vaccination card to go anywhere. God, how penalizing is that to businesses? In so many different ways. It's so awful, so unwise. Speaking of of punishing businesses, Craig, the healthcare guru, sent us along the guidance he's giving to his clients' uh, businesses about that uh, if you have more than 100 employees, you got to get everybody jabbed by January the 4th uh, directive. It's pages long. The compliance that these companies have to internalize, figure out how they're going to comply, where they file the reports. They've got to file like long reports to OSHA explaining why they're doing this, that, and the other, and the way they're doing it. It's going to take, you know, so many man slash woman hours. It's just, it's draconian. And that's for companies with a hundred or more employees. And the news out today is that they're looking to expand that to smaller companies. So right, fantastic. Right. You want to replay that uh, montage that it was a full minute long and we edited it down of Democratic politicians saying, no, no, no mandates, no vaccine mandates. Absolutely not going to happen. So we're keeping our eye on uh, the House to see if they vote on these gargantuan bills. Um, we're not a show that. Gets all tied up in knots over legislation all the time, but these are big. If they if they both pass and become law, this is a well. They claim it's a major transformation of the United States. It's right. a major transformation of the relationship between the citizens and their government. Is in a hundred years, all, is that what we all voted for? I can't remember the name of the Democrat the other day that said we didn't vote for FDR. We just voted for something normal, right? Like we just didn't want Trump anymore. They yeah, all trans- you people who, who voted for old man Biden instead of Trump. That's what you're looking for, a transformation into Venezuela? Really? No, of course not. Anyway, a lot more on the way. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Facebook has learned that there's already another tech company called Meta, and they won't sell their name for less than $20 million. When asked why they didn't do their research, Facebook said, we did, we just did it on Facebook. Did you guys talk about that last Friday? Because I, I, Friday is when I was the sickest with the COVID of Facebook changing their name to Meta, what that all means. Yeah, yeah, what, a little what bit. What does it mean? I don't fully understand. Uh, they want a suite of like three-dimensional uh, virtual meeting rooms where you can be an avatar and everybody's in three dimensions <laughs> like a cartoon character, among other things. They got all sorts of 3D stuff. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess I, guess I get that. The, the, virtual their, what, reality, what I they're doing, but, but what is the Metaverse? 
that Zuckerberg and others believe is what's going to be what we're all doing here in the next however many years. We're going to put on the uh, the goggles and we're going to be in. I mean, we're going to feel like we're immersed in the 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 world that's uh, on on our screens. Except our screen will be our eyeballs, right. and it'll okay. be three dimensional. The rest of yeah, it. That's and, part and, of it. Well, and we've talked about this before. It is pretty fascinating if you think about it. If you're wearing, I think in the near future we'll we'll all be wearing some sort of glasses or headset or something more or less all the time. I I just think we will. And go uh, ahead. <laughs> and so if your if your house, you know, is all just blank walls and nothing really, but in your in your headset, what you're seeing is crown molding and uh, you know beautifully textured walls of whatever color you want and beautiful art everywhere and furniture. Well, then that's your reality. But when you go to sit down on your lush leather couch, you're going to break your coccyx. You're going to fall on your ass. Well, you probably need an actual chair. Okay. But uh, but, but in terms you need to of clarify. But so much of um, uh, consumerism and life and everything like that is the visual, you know, what your car looks like on the inside or what your house looks like on the inside or what the view is out your back window. Why will you ever need a real view if you have whatever freaking ocean view you want from wherever wearing this headset? It's an intriguing notion. I think like so many things, tech world, there will be some wonderful stuff. And there will also be some stuff that drives humanity to commit suicide en masse. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, it's already happening. It's just more. I'm just saying it'll be more. How will that not occur, though? It's clearly going to occur. I think to a large extent it will. I think you're right. The and metaverse. I think a lot of it will turn out to be empty calories, which people think are nourishing them, and they will wake up one day and figure out they're emotionally starved. Like 3D porn. Oh, boy, Michael. Had to go there, didn't we? 3D porn. It all happened. Well, don't don't bring the conversation to a halt and then duck out. I mean, you, it's you're, you're to blame. Well, I do think as we go, it's already having its an effect. I think in in lots of uh, men, particularly who used to have to get a girlfriend because yep. you just you're driven by your young hormones. You got to have a girlfriend. You need some loving. Don't really anymore because porn's so prevalent and it satisfies it enough that people are okay with just staying in their apartment all weekend long. As empty porn, calories. As porn gets better, that will become even more true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm troubled by that whole thing. Of course, you know, they're you know, I'm reading what what the heck is the name of that the fourth turning. Moby it, Dick? No, the fourth turning. It came out in the late nineties and it was about how history has these identifiable cycles. And there are like four stages that generally coincide with like a long life of a human being, eighty to a hundred years. And and they were writing in the in the nineties how they're in the middle of the third turning, which is kind of dissolution and descent, and and then the fourth stage of it is crisis, where a, a society like the United States is is torn about by dissension. There's a super giant crisis, but that causes us all to strip away the individualism and the self indulgence and reunite to more of a sense of community and duty and agreed upon moral structures and stuff like that. And I thought, wow, you know, that's that's really intriguing. They and they say that giant crisis is probably going to happen before 2025, if the pattern holds uh, true. You know, obviously you're saying, well, whoa, whoa, COVID, COVID. Except that hasn't resulted in any giant coming together and sacrificing oneself to the 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 uh, the community or anything like it. Quite the opposite. So 
Uh, I wonder if there's still one of those things. And then a lot of what we're discussing about seems as quaint as, you know, disco or arguing over whether Reagan was going to bring us to, to war with the Soviet Union. It'll just be so in the past. I don't know. The technology thing is going to happen no matter what. True. Um, how it's Unless we it. ban it and jail Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Um, anyway, you combine that with artificial intelligence and who freaking knows where we'll be in terms of tech in, uh, in just a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one thing the authors whose uh, names I don't recall, but, uh, look it up, um, failed to <laughs> consider. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Herman Melville and, uh, Chaucer. Anyway, <clears throat> they, uh, they failed to consider technology, which can teach itself. But they do mention that technology throughout history has often been at the heart or at the the the, the origin of the crises that they describe. Um, and they give all sorts of different examples of the Industrial Revolution or the cotton gin or, or whatever leading to a fundamental change in economics and society and how we struggle with that and then we more or less fall apart, but then a giant crisis comes and eh, we'll see. I was doing a little research on VR the other day, thinking maybe this is the year for a big VR Christmas present. I'm I'm not sure or not if the technology is where I want it to be at the price that I want it to be. But we did a big VR thing a couple of years ago, and it was, it was quite amazing. It'll get to the point that virtual reality is practically better than anything you can imagine entertainment-wise. Crazy fun. I'll tell you that. The games, and I'm not a big gaming guy, but it was crazy fun. That was a couple of years ago. Several years oh, yeah. ago. It was probably five years ago. Yeah. So that'll get to the point that that's just it's the best entertainment there is. There's no competing with it. So what'll that do to society? I have no idea. Um, text line four one five two nine five KFTZ. Armstrong and Getty.